20 million barrels per day are used in the United States. That's how much oil we burn. China is way behind us at 12.8 million. India is at 4.4. Japan, it's 4 million barrels a day. One of the reasons I am very convinced that Chinese people have said the Chinese GDP is really as big as the United States GDP. They're just measuring it wrong and the Chinese are going to run over. Well, for better or worse, and a lot of people don't like it, use of oil is a really good measure of gross domestic product. We're at 20, Chinese are at 12 or 13 per day, which tells you the relative size of our economies. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. So this is The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure speaking to you. On the line with me, I have Elder Baldy as opposed to Younger Baldy, um, who is Jeff McClure. Uh, we are the personal wealth coach. That's me. That you, you have, yes. We are both bald. That's mm -hmm. thus the elder and younger baldies. But you can easily tell the difference between us by the color of our beards. Yes, very much so. His, I have a great beard, white, almost white, and yes. his is kind of black. Right. So between the two of us, it's easy to understand. I'm also wearing a hat because it's cold in here and he is not. So you should be able to tell us apart easily in all future right. conversations. Yes. Right. Exactly. All right. That's good. Right. Now we've got that out of the way. We probably ought to do the disclosures. That was a disclosure. We, I mean, we are bald. We are bald. That's the first disclosure. It's important to know we are bald bearded men and you might have better use of your time on a Saturday morning or whenever you're listening than to be listening to two bald bearded men. The first disclosure is out of the way. We think it's important. True. True. We're going to, I'm listening to one. Well, actually, I guess I'm listening myself too. So I am listening to two bald bearded men on a Saturday morning. If you can say that quickly five times, you're not drunk. You hope. Right. So let's talk about disclosures. Yes. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach. Uh, it is not just a radio program or a podcast. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. We have to tell you that because the SEC wants us to. Mm -hmm. um, we just because we're registered with the SEC as a firm doesn't mean that the SEC likes us in any way. There's no implication of liking. That's a government agency and they don't do that. So there's no approval or liking even if we seek it. Approval seeking doesn't really work with the SEC. Okay, so that's out of the way. Second is that I just said that we were registered in, in, in doing business uh, as fiduciaries giving investment advice and we're on the radio and we can't do fiduciary investment advice on the radio because it means we would have to know all of you and we would have to have some form of private channel of communication to each of you that none of the others could hear while we were doing this. Sounds like telepathy to me. Do you think we could do that? I think it is theoretically possible, but improbable. Improbable at this point. Okay, so that being said, we can't give you direct investment advice on the air. Instead, we're going to be giving educational information. We're hopefully going to fill your brain with knowledge, or at least try. I can give some investment advice. Go ahead. Buy low, sell high. If you buy an investment that you want to go up and it doesn't go up, don't buy it in the first place. Yes. If it does go up, sell it. If it goes higher, go buy a beer. A beer? 
after you sell it and it goes up anyway. What makes you? Why? What if I don't want a beer? Well, you stimulate the economy when you buy the beer. You can just keep the can on the shelf or something. Aha. I suppose that is reasonable. Okay. Right. So that being said, the next disclosure after beer buying would be, you want to you want deem to tell us what the next one is? Well, the information we present on this educational radio program, since we're not giving advice, it's educational, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And especially make no guarantee or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of unsaid information. Actually, I can make a guarantee. Anything that's unsaid is incomplete. Unless its completeness was its lack of saying. Uh, We could go on like that all day. Yeah, we could. This, This is a very deep philosophical conversation, but instead we're going to move on to the next disclosure. Which is, Which is we don't that pay. you got it. You go ahead. Yes. You did. We don't pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do the radio program. However, we do pay for advertisement for the radio program, as does the studio. So there's a partnership in promoting this, but we're not paid to do it, nor do we pay to do it. And that is the last of our disclosures, I believe. And now we're going to disclose the events of the market of the past week. The market. Uh, By market, we mean the stock, bond, some of the stock, bond, and uh, other markets, and commodity just a little bit. The S&P 500 stock index is the one we use to track what the market is doing because, very frankly, sometimes the Dow goes a different direction. It's only got 30 stocks in it, and sometimes it goes a different direction than the broad market, so we use the S&P 500 stock index. Um, It ended the week at 4488.28. That's another one you can remember. I told people to remember 4,500 because it was a nice round figure, but 4,488, that's one I can remember. How, how about any of the other ones, like the 4,143 number? No. Or, no? Hard. Too hard to remember? Okay. 4,444, four, four, double it, and you get 8,8. Eight. Okay. So I'll remember this is kind of a benchmark. It's down 1.27% for the week, and that tells you something. And this is, this is the peculiarity of this market we're in right now. Um. The market is up 6.75% for the last month. It's down 5.83% year to date. And it's up 8.71% from this time last year. So the market is down and up and down and up. You like that? Right. Um, you, you could say that any week. Well, no, actually, for the last year or so. We've had a lot of up. I could say that the market was up for the week. It was up for the trailing month. It was up year to date, and it was up from a year ago. I mean, it's been doing that for some time, and we kind of got used to it. But we're in a market now that if it's whether you perceive it as up or down depends on how far back you're looking. And at different time intervals over the last year, it was either up or down. Now, if you go out three years or five years or 10 years, it's up. Uh, but it's kind of doing an up and down sort of thing. The CRSP mid cap value index, which is another index we track because we like mid-cap value. It actually dropped 0.48% for the week. It's uh, sitting at 2584.14, leaving it down 0.51% for the week. It's down 0.51 for 2022 so far this year. It's up 4.77% for the last month and up 8.94% from this time last year. So that part of the market is up and down and up and down and up and down. If that's confusing, it is confusing. Uh, the market is in what is 
commonly referred to, at least in the media, as a slog. A slog? It's a slog. It goes, and, and bull markets tend to go through this, by the way. Um, this is a very classic bull market behavior of going for after a big rise, going through a period of time where it's up and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, very characteristic. Um, so it's, is the market up or down? Yes. Uh, but for a long-term investor, it's up. So that's what counts. Um, it, it's, there's, there's a couple of things that are really uh, positive out there right now. Uh, we reported this in the newsletter. Morningstar does a really good job of, of analyzing quantitative information. It's called quantitative analysis, logically enough. And they determine whether any given stock is above or below fair market value and publish it if you pay it for them for the publication. And they say it's at a slight discount, which is a good thing, which means the market is probably based on earnings and interest rates and all the other stuff that typically affects the long-term return of the stock market at a slight discount. Uh, markets tend to get way ahead of themselves before major, major falls. So uh, we're actually in pretty good shape in the market. And the other thing we like, and this is backwards, but this is the way it works, there is an abundance of pessimism out there. Everything I read, uh, almost without exception, says a recession is coming. It's a bear market. It's a bad time. And then I read the comments on the articles in the Wall Street Journal and other places. And again, it's get out, get out. It's going to be terrible. The bottom is going to fall out. That is really a good sign because this is old Baldy here. I have been, I, I remember very clearly the bear market of 1973-74, which is back when Hanarabi was making his code in Babylon or something. And I remember all the bear markets since. And I can tell you without exception, major bear markets are preceded by excessive unrestrained optimism, or as uh, Gallon Greenspan is so famous for saying, irrational exuberance. So the other thing, Let's go to the next market, the year, the 10-year treasury note. Just, just to give accreditation where it's due, Alan Greenspan made it more famous than it already was, but exational, irrational exuberance was coined by Professor Schiller. Indeed. He, matter of fact, he wrote a book by that name. Right. And so he was, his book cover was being quoted there. We often attribute Greenspan because he's the one that really boosted that book by saying that. But. Well, as I said, as Alan Greenspan so famously said. Right. See, I didn't. Yeah, okay. I, I just needed to quibble. More for disclosure. No quibble. Quibble, yes. I'm a, I'm a yes. quibbler. Right. Um, but not kibbler. Yes. No. The U.S. 10-year Treasury note, and this is where if you follow the financial news media and the pundits and the commentators and et cetera, et cetera, they're talking about the bond market a lot. Uh, much of what they're saying doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's pretty sensational. They don't know it doesn't make sense. And most of the readers don't know it doesn't make sense. They just know it sounds very intellectual. Right. And for most people, when I talk about the bond market, they have this blank look in their eyes that turns into glassy look because as one said, uh, as one person that I talked to about it uh, recently said, there's a bond market. And, and in a sense, there's not, there's no, there's no New York bond exchange. There's not a big exchange for them. That's for sure. Uh, there's no NASDAQ bond exchange. It's it's an informal market, and it's really much harder to track. The benchmark for that market is the U.S. 10-year Treasury note yield. It climbed 14% this week to 2.712%. Now, put that in perspective. 
a year and a quarter ago, it was 0.91%. It's now 2.712%. That's huge. It's up. Matter of fact, it's up 80% so far this year in one quarter. As far as the yield, it's not so good on principal. Oh, man. The principal. Uh, matter of fact, I was just looking at a bond fund in the last six months has lost 12%. Uh, I mean, if you just had your money in the bond fund and you saw your value six months ago and you looked at it uh, yesterday, you would have noticed that your value has declined 12% while the stock market has gone up. This is something that I think is shocking a lot of people. It's a whole, it's a subject of a whole deep consideration when we consider portfolios. For example, historically, a safe, relatively conservative portfolio had 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Whoa. Right now, if you look at the potential return of that portfolio, it is terrible. And largely because if you've got 40% of your investment in something that has lost that much money and shows every sign of losing money into the future, it's going to be rough. Anyway, we, that, that's a whole show. We could talk about that. Um, the good news is that if you look carefully at the uh, interest rates along the yield curve, which you have to kind of hunt up and figure out, the difference between the two-year and 10-year notes is positive. The two-year treasury note is yielding 2.52%. And I just said we got 2.7 at 10 years. Now, why is that important? There are two treasury sets of maturities that tend to be indicative of a future recession coming if they go upside down. By upside down, I mean if the longer one, the longer maturing treasury has a lower interest rate than the shorter maturing treasury, then the interest rates are upside down. Now, go ahead. That, and just as a quick explanation for that, because as soon as you start talking interest rate, people lose interest. It's kind of funny. Um, uh, if you think about a mortgage on a house, a 30-year mortgage interest rate is higher than a 15-year mortgage interest rate because that's typical. When that's backwards, it means that people are afraid to put their money away for longer periods of time. That's not good for the long term. And that, that's a really quick and easy explanation. Well, so the two and 10 year spread, as it's called, is important. The other one is between 90 days and 18 months, but you really can't find the 18 month yield anywhere easily. So it's the 90 day and two year note that you, that's also very positive right now. So if you're following the news media about finances and markets and so on, and they talk about a yield curve inversion. In fact, there is a small inversion in the mid zone of the yield curve, but it's not inverting where it needs to invert to forecast a recession. Now, that doesn't mean the recession is not coming. It's just that the bond market yield curve is not forecasting a recession at this point. As a matter of fact, the best academic studies say the key is between the two between ninety days and eighteen months, and that's extremely positive, which indicates Good we news. got. Quite a ways to go before we're looking at a recession. Now, could that change during the next year? It sure could because the Fed is pushing up short-term rates. Um, now let's go to oil. We track West Texas intermediate crude oil, which is a very crude thing to track um, because it affects prices in the United States directly. It fell, the price of oil fell 1.63% for the week to $97.86. Now, why is that important? First off, it affects the price of gasoline with a big lag, the lag that can easily last a month, by the way. The other thing is, before the war, 
before the invasion of Ukraine, economists were widely predicting that as the summer approached, the price of West Texas intermediate crude would go to $100 a barrel. That was without thinking about whether or not Russia was invading Ukraine. So it's behaving as expected, which is a good thing. Now, that does that mean that the pump prices are pleasant? No. However, if you go back as recently as 2018, we had prices this high at the pump. Uh, we had it. We've, we had it in 2008. We had prices this high at the pump, uh, or nearly this high. So this is not as abnormal as you might think it is. So it's not going to sink anybody's battleship. And the diesel is unusually high, and that is going to have an effect. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with refining capacity. Um, we're we're shipping a lot of stuff, and that's requiring a lot of diesel. And that capacity is not as high as it should be to to make more diesel. So that's important too. We said this last week, but it's important to note at this point, and I, and this may upset somebody's political feathers. I don't know. United States refineries are running at capacity right now. That's the limiting factor. Um, I've read several articles and several letters and heard people say if the Keystone XL pipeline had been allowed to open, uh, then gasoline prices wouldn't be so high. No. Not true. <laughs> First off. The oil that was going to come through that pipeline is still coming through another pipeline, a lot of it, about 80% of it. And it doesn't real, doesn't give much gasoline. And secondly, they wouldn't be accepting the oil in the refineries on the Gulf Coast at this point because it doesn't give a lot of gasoline or diesel. And right now, the refineries are leaning toward producing gasoline and diesel. And to do that, they need light, sweet gasoline, or at least intermediate, or not gasoline, uh, oil, which or at least intermediate oil. And that's what they're refining. So if the XL Keystone, the Keystone, was it Keystone XL? Yeah, the Keystone XL had been completed and was ready to pump oil at this point. It basically wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any oil coming through there because we don't have any place to put it and the refineries don't have any room to refine it. So it's one of those things where the cause and effect isn't what you might think it was. That's just reality of the real markets. The, the, the big issues in the market, frankly, that are going to have the most destabilizing effect are the wheat markets and some elements in the metal markets. Uh, Ukraine is one of the largest wheat producers in the world. Russia is right behind them, and we're in like number three. It's it's going to be great for farmers, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. And just step in here for just a second. Right now, the number one producer of oil on the planet. You got a guess on that? I would think it'd probably be us. Yeah. Uh, as of January, so this is prior to the invasion. We don't have data yet. It's coming. It's always a little bit late. Uh, but we've got data here saying uh, 11 million barrels of oil a day uh, being produced in the United States, as opposed to Russia, which was just behind at 10.5 million, and uh, Saudi Arabia at 10.2 million. Now, we're not exporting as much as Russia and Saudi Arabia did because our populations are much bigger, but that's just a, a reference right there. The number one producer of oil in the world is the United States right now. The problem is we're also the number one user of oil. We that's use right. Almost 20, this is amazing, 20 million barrels per day are used in the United States. That's how much oil we burn. China is way behind us at 12.8 million. 
India is at 4.4, Japan it's 4 million barrels a day. One of the reasons I am very convinced that Chinese people have said the Chinese GDP is really as big as the United States GDP. They're just measuring it wrong and the Chinese are going to run over. Well, for better or worse, and a lot of people don't like it, use of oil is a really good measure of gross domestic product. We're at 20, Chinese are at 12 or 13 per day, which tells you the relative size of our economies. Anyway, I thought that was important. I, I agree with that. So ju not just the wheat, the oil side, we're not experiencing as big a, an uptick in prices as other places on the planet because it's right here. We're getting some uptick in prices, but we're producing more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. And that was before the war. So good, good news on that front. Uh, and we're producing more than we're actually making, which I was I investigated that because people were saying, why, if we're producing so much oil, why are we importing oil? Because we have a booming economy and we're burning more than we're drilling, than we're bringing out of the ground, which means we need to import a bunch of oil every right. year. Yeah. Um, so does that wrap up your markets? Yeah, I could go on about it and rattle on for an extended period of time, but we probably ought to change the subject. Or do you want to have something? Do you want to wrap up or have something to yeah, say? I think it's important to say something we said earlier. The purchasing managers index for non-manufacturing and it, it lapses over into and also the composite uh, purchasing managers index from uh, S and P both jumped upward last month. Uh, they moved up to fifty-seven and fifty-eight. Now, what does that mean? Anything above 50 is growth. Above 55 is growth so fast it's probably not sustainable. And the Purchasing Managers Index are leading economic indicators. That means over the next several months to a year, our economy is on a roll upward. It is, and it's, it's still accelerating. An important thing to, the Fed is raising interest rates, and we only have a little time to say this. The Fed is raising interest rates, but it's not back to neutral yet. When the short-term rates get to 3%, when the Fed's short-term rates get to 3%, that will be neutral. If they take them above 3%, they're going to be, that will be forcing a slowdown in the economy. A slowdown in the economy is translated into recession. Are we there yet? No. Are we close? No. We got a long ways to go yet. And this particular bout of recession is different from previous bouts of recession. This bout, I'm um, not recession, inflation. This bout of inflation has been caused by external events, almost entirely by external events. If those external events go away, which we have no way of knowing whether they will or not, supply chain, pandemic, it's still going like mad in China, uh, war. If it goes away, the inflation goes away within a year and interest rates come back down again, we don't get a recession. The next recession looks like 2024, and we're out of time for this last two hours. And this has been uh, the personal wealth coach. If you wish to contact us, you're certainly welcome to do so. We do manage money for we're, we're wealth managers is what we do for people of relatively high net worth. And you can contact us locally at 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, read our newsletters. You can uh, listen to radio programs. You can find our uh, podcasts anywhere where podcasts are found. Uh, and you can... Uh, 
Email us directly or contact us through the contact form. Our email addresses are jeff or jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach.